standards have to be created, absolutely. But standards take years. So action and buying decisions are things you can turn on tomorrow. That leads to standards. Welcome to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast featuring conversations with leaders of the energy transition, hosted by Smart Energy Decisions founder, John Fiella. In each episode of Smart Energy Voices, John digs deep with industry movers and shakers to reveal insights you can learn from in their stories, personalities, and visions for the future. All right, let's dive in. Hi, everyone. I'm John Fiella, and welcome back to Smart Energy Voices. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take a couple of minutes to give us a review on iTunes. We'd greatly appreciate it. Today, I'm very fortunate to be joined by Dean Nelson, founder and chairman of Infrastructure Masons and CEO of Cato. Very exciting topic to discuss today, and we're going to jump right into it. And Dean, I guess I'd like to start by asking you to give us an overview of your background, maybe a little bit on your career journey. Give us a sense of the many activities you're involved with today. Sure. And John, thanks for having me on. Uh, This is great. So I've been in the industry for 32 years now. So we call it digital infrastructure industry. And that's really the underpinning for the internet of everything, the stuff that we use. So I spent 17 years at Sun Microsystems back in the day, did a startup company in the middle called Allegro Networks. I left Sun after my second stint and went to eBay and ran Global Foundation Services there. So that's basically data center, network, hardware, supply chain, budget management, forecasting, all those, the, the under, underlying engine. And then I uh, went on sabbatical for six months when my daughter was uh, choosing colleges, which is really fun. And then I joined uh, Uber and started that rocket ship ride for three years for hyperscale. And in between all of that, I also started the group called Infrastructure Masons, and that's a professional association. So a 501c6 and we are all about the individuals in the industry, the people that actually do the work, right? Drive the initiatives and the strategy to enable this uh, underlying engine to to operate. I left Uber in 2019 and then started doing advisory work, right? Doing uh, joining boards and things, and and I joined a, a company called uh, Virtual Power Systems at that point on the board, and then they asked me to step in as interim CEO, and then I ended up taking the permanent role, and we reset the entire thing. So in the last two years, we reinvented the company, refocused. The original idea was right. Now we focused everything back in, and we've rebranded into Cato. Cato is the Latin root word for all knowing. So our platform is autonomous digital infrastructure. We need to understand what's going on so that we can actually have the machines dynamically do what needs to be done to create the maximum amount of efficiency within data centers. So we unlock stranded power in data centers with software. Unlock stranded power. Well, you're clearly busy. Now, when we previously talked, you also mentioned some philanthropic work that you do. Maybe Hmm. what, what, what all are you involved with there? Yeah, I've been involved in a group called, uh, or well, actually I founded this with my mom called Just Let Me Learn. And that is a nonprofit. We build schools in uh, underserved areas. And so we focused on the northeastern part of India after a trip I took my mom on, a business trip. Fast forward 10 years and we've now got two school campuses built and over a thousand kids enrolled from pre-K to 10th grade. And that's one of the most rewarding things is just being able to seed the ability for students right and people to have an opportunity because i really believe that 
that great uh, leveler is education. And so the more they can get, the more opportunities that open back up. And so we really focus on on how we can go back and enable that. And it's just a little thing my mom and I started that's actually turned into a lot more than we thought it would be. That's great. Well, listen, there's nothing more important than advancing education, particularly those that have an opportunity to do so otherwise. Absolutely. So I'd like to start by talking about infrastructure masons, right? Known as iMasons. I believe you started in 2016, which is the same year Smart Energy Decisions was launched. Oh, nice. It's a fascinating concept. And, and I'd like you to talk to me about it a little bit, maybe starting with, you know, what was the genesis of, of iMasons? What was the idea? Why did you uh, decide the time was right to launch that? You know, I started doing industry work in 2008, and I did that when I was at Sun Microsystems, and primarily mm-hmm. because there really wasn't representation of my industry. So at Sun, they had like the Java community. There was a lot of people that that had community. And so I was, I remembered I was at an event and Jonathan Schwartz was talking, the CEO at the time, and and I asked myself, what what is my community? And so we started the group called Data Center Pulse because we were driving lots of infrastructure elements. And that that rapidly grew. We had like 7,000 people participating across 66 countries and they had projects all over the world. And that was really neat. We had a lot of really good, I guess, bringing people together and actually focusing on, on different efforts. And it was neat because we united the community around that. Then I joined eBay and that rocket ship was all consuming. Right. It was the turnaround literally. And we started growing 4X within the first couple of years. And just it, everything was, was so fast. And I realized I started losing touch with my community. Mm-hmm. So when I, when I left eBay, that sabbatical part, when I was going to tour colleges with my daughter, I thought, I want to get my, my friends back together. And so I launched that on April 2nd. But the way I did that was I called nine people specifically. And I said, hey, I'm thinking about putting things together, but I want to do it a little differently. What do you think? Would you like to would you like to come together? And they all gave feedback and said yes. And so we launched it. And where we are today is I think we've got 7,500 people participating in over 130 countries, right? With infrastructure all over the world. But the main thing was we are the builders of the digital age. So if you think about it, it's all these people that have massive portfolios and it's all sides. So these are the people that actually consume the infrastructure, meaning like the the end user companies to the ones that build it, to the salespeople, to the product manufacturers. It's basically all of the elements inside of digital infrastructure to make it function. And so we said, we want to bring those people together. So we leave our companies at the door. We connect as professionals, as individuals, and we tackle certain problems. So as a professional association that's run by the members, we have four key objectives. Diversity inclusion, education, sustainability, and technology. And so those are the things we spend our time on. And as a nonprofit, what's great is it's really refreshing to be able to go into an event and say, you leave your companies at the door because you never know who you're going to work for, who's going to work for you. And then we sit down and we have actual working sessions. This isn't somebody, you know, a panel and people are talking at you and things. We go back and say, all right, we would like to go tackle this thing. And each of your tables, we want you to spend 45 minutes and they dive into that because Literally, that is the best consulting group in the world when you think about all those people coming together with all different perspectives. And then we time bound it. And then we say, you have two minutes to give us your output. And that session, those sessions have worked into be incredible. Just, I don't know, people really enjoy the fact of, of we can come together and actually work together. And you've got competitors sitting at the same table. That's really where it is. We, we, are, we are focused on uniting the builders of the digital age. 
And we do that by enabling our members to connect, grow, and give back. And the key thing is that we are aggregating and amplifying the amazing work from our members and their companies. That allows us to be able to, to really make it that like iMasons is not driving and, and creating a product and doing these things. We're enabling this community to come together and actually now compound the impact of what they're doing. And especially again, back around those four to those four elements, right? Diversity, inclusion, education, sustainability, and technology. So the four core tenants of iMasons. Were they the four core tenants from the beginning, or have those four areas of focus evolved over time? The first three were because we knew we had a challenge. First off, we had a lot of lot of members that were very much into uh, sustainability, and we were green before green was cool. You know that kind of thing. So that's that's been a core tenant. And then diversity and inclusion has also been a critical one because we haven't. We all see it. Now, the folks on your podcast can't see me, but the majority of our industry looks like me. Caucasian males over 50. Right. And that is not the way it should be. And so what we've been really championing is how do we go back and get the, the leaders right in the industry to actually be united around these things? And so our diversity and inclusion committee, it's incredible. The group, the, the group of people that are there, right? And we're really focused. We've got Latin X member research resource groups. We have veterans, right? Black plus. And millennial Gen Z, we're just creating these different communities within that to help really promote what it is that we're trying to do, which is increase the diversity, the mix within our industry. And there's a business, incredible business element of this. We don't have enough people. Yeah. And if you just think about it from a gender perspective, we're missing half the population. It's less than 10% females in our industry. And then you think about all the other underrepresented groups is even less than that. So how do we go back and attract that talent? into our industry because we all need the resources, right? We need the brains. We need the actual diversity of thought, right? And experience so that we can go back and compete. And so that's another great one for us to unite around. Yeah. yeah. And then of course, on the sustainability side, we're going to talk about the IMASIS Climate Accord in a little bit. And we created this thing back in 2020 on Earth Day, which was the industry sustainability vision. And that's every click improves the future. And if you think about every click improves the future, that's that's a small number of words, but very powerful. Every click, that means everything we do on the internet should improve the future. So what does it mean to improve the future? That's economic, right? That's ecology, that's opportunity, that's diverse. Like, it's really packed. So if you think about it, digital infrastructure should contribute to society and the economy without harming the planet. So that's what we really focused on. We had Microsoft and Google and a bunch of people together saying, we believe in the vision that we're trying to do. And so if you fast forward to where we are today, now one of the manifestations of that is the iMasons Climate Accord. Oh, my goodness. We could do an episode on each one of these four topics. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm really intrigued by the DNI piece because the energy industry has really been late to the game. Mm-hmm. And it's just in the past couple of years that that topic's become one that's in focus. We have a series called Inspiring Diversity and Energy that's principally been with uh, content sessions at our events. We are launching a program to try to help minority business enterprises on the supplier side get into the industry. It's a big, meaty topic and interesting to hear about your background there. So this is an aside, but I have to ask, a lot of the companies that you mentioned that are members on an individual level that have now led initiatives at their respective companies, major sustainability efforts at Google, 
at Facebook, at Microsoft. Did those companies have those plans in place and your members were coming to school to learn about how to fulfill that? Or do you feel like your efforts at iMasons has actually, in a behind-the-scenes way, helped fuel those initiatives at these large tech companies? Yeah, great question. Just to be very clear, there are incredible companies out there doing incredible work. All of those initiatives you just outlined, those were all moving forward regardless of iMasons. Okay. You know, you think about the commitments that Meta and Microsoft and Apple and Google and, and AWS have made specifically are significant, significant. It takes true leadership to say, as a publicly traded company, I'm going to make this claim. For example, I, I tout the Microsoft claim where they said they're, they're going to be paying back all carbon ever admitted since 1977 by, 19, by 2050. Yeah, They raised the bar again. And you think about the leadership behind that, they don't know how they're going to do it yet, but they have made the public statement to say, we will do it and we will figure it out. And they backed it up with a billion dollar innovation fund, a billion dollars. On top of that, they opened up their IP. They said, if people are going to come back with solutions, the patents that we have can be leveraged in that manner to help us solve this bigger problem. So if you think about those individual companies and the work that they're doing, that in and of itself is leadership and inspiring for me in a huge way. What we saw is that there's a whole bunch of independent efforts, right? And disparate efforts. What if we could actually bring that together and have a common cause of how we're doing these things? We could compound the impact of all that amazing work. Again, aggregate and amplify the amazing work of members and member companies. And so that's where the ICA really, really resonated. So to answer your questions, there is a lot of passionate people. What we are doing is uniting the builders of the digital age on these common causes, helping to actually compound the impact of them. Doesn't matter if it's diversity, inclusion, or sustainability, or education, or technology. How do we move that ball forward faster? That happens when we work together that collaboration is incredibly powerful. And we've seen this manifest time and time and time again within our different meetings and the work that we're doing. Yeah. So you're really talking about going well beyond just the opportunity for peer sharing to accelerate innovation and development, but you've got your members actually working collaboratively to solve common issues that they have an interest in. That is the key. We're uniting the builders of the digital age. And if you think about that statement, what does uniting mean? That we have common causes and we can actually work together. And again, leaving our companies at the door to be able to connect as personal right people. <laughs> we all compete for customers and, and those kind of things, but we don't compete on the planet. We all live on this planet. And so mm -hmm. us coming together is not competition at all. It is literally collaborative and compounding. And that's what I love about uh, one of the main things I love about the group is that we really are able to live to our values and leverage the amazing opportunities between these bright, talented, driven people and these amazing leadership positioned companies. That combination is incredible. Yeah. While there are so many things I'd like to dig into that you've introduced, we've got to get to the iMasons Climate Accord because that's really the reason I wanted to spend some time with you here today. It was it was late one night and I'm trying to catch up on news. It was a couple months ago. I guess it was maybe late, late April. And 
Mm-hmm. I saw this news item about this meeting in Europe and all of these leaders of the digital infrastructure industry banding together for this iMason's Climate Accord. And we know how much carbon emissions are generated from data centers. And it's, you know, energy is one of the key inputs on mm-hmm. data centers. And the thought of this collaborative group really trying to address climate change was fascinating. And the more I dug into it, the more intrigued I was. And then I learned about iMasons and I learned about you. This iMasons Climate Accord has the potential to be very, very impactful. How did it come out? You touched on it a little bit, but tell us a little Mm -hmm. more about kind of how this came about. What are the key areas of focus and objectives for the Climate Accord? Yeah. So number one, this sustainability work we've been doing for years, right, has has been forming up on other ways that we can actually come together. And so, like I said, it, it really started with the sustainability vision. Every click improves the future. And then we realized, take two years, because that was, that was April 2020, Earth Day. And you look at, well, what has been accomplished? So we've got this vision. Great. But is it just words? There are actually things that are going on. And so you look at all the individual efforts, like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening, a lot, a lot of good stuff. But all of us in the advisory council and on the board had this epiphany that we're just not moving fast enough. I mean, temperatures are rising, right? Global weather, all the other things that are going on here, it, it's becoming very serious. And I think that we said there's got to be something that we can do. So... I called one of our advisory council members, one of the, the original people that I started iMasons with. His name is Christian Bellotti. He's the guy that created the metric called PUE. It's the power usage effectiveness. Oh, sure. And PUE basically measures the right side of the decimal. For every watt you consume in, in for the compute to do work, how many more watts are needed to actually get it done? And you, know, you used to have another watt. So like 50% of the waste in mechanical, electrical, like air conditioning, those things. And so we now started driving that back down and you get PUEs that are 1.2. So it's like 20% or less of additional overhead to make that work happen. And that actually slowed the curve of actual consumption. We were believing we we're getting into double digits. But right now we're 2.4% of the global energy draw. There's 7 million data centers. There's 105 gigawatts of capacity actually built in data centers around the world. And they consume 594 terawatt hours of energy. So we have an idea of what digital infrastructure is. But we looked to that saying, okay, well, what's our carbon footprint? How much progress are we making? And the thing was, we kept looking at going, we really can't get our arms around that. So I called Christian and I said, hey, why don't we, could we hold a, an advisory council session at your house? <laughs> and he's like, at my house, I'm like, let's just make it personal. And because you have so much passion around it, let's just bring these people together. And we're going to find one thing, just one that we can all focus on and agree upon to do together. One, when it comes to the climate accord, right? Oh, just overall for sustainability. And so he's like, okay, let's do it. And so we gathered 40 people together. And these are people that have some of the largest portfolios in the world. I mean, we're talking Google and Apple and Amazon or AWS uh-huh. and Meta and Microsoft and and then some of the biggest co-location companies in the world and some of the biggest like product companies in the world to talk. And so in that, we we spent six hours together at that event. And what we came back with was there was pages and pages of content, but we had them all read out. Remember the working sessions we do. And in those summaries, we found six key themes that popped out. So we got that, but then we couldn't quite get to the one thing. So that was that was February 22nd of this year. 
Then we came together on March 17th after we, we went through all the content, all those things. And we said, these are the six things we heard. And here's what we believe we should do. And the Climate Accord was born on that date, March 17th, because we all agreed that we're all aligned on carbon reduction. Mm-hmm. That one's really simple. Okay, carbon reduction, great. But we also know we need to have a, a common carbon accounting methodology. We have to. And so we need to align on that too. And then we also knew that the hyperscalers drive the buying behavior. Okay. And we also believe that the transparency around what we're trying to do is, is critical. So those are a few of the key, the key elements in it. But we said, can we come together on carbon reduction? Yeah. So then that became our focus. And how we were going to do that was by applying carbon labels. So think of like nutrition labels on food. Sure. You have a common methodology and a common marking on it. Imagine if you had a carbon label on a product that went in a data center and you knew the embodied carbon history of that product. What did it take for it to get here so it could be used? And that is a sunk cost. That's all the carbon that's there, right? From an accounting standpoint. Then you think of the building it goes into, the materials. So this is the copper, the concrete, the steel, anything that goes back and actually assembling and building up that building. When it's lit, there's the carbon history of that building, but it includes the materials and the products. So that means we could put a carbon label on the building. So if there are 7 million data centers, we could have a carbon label for each of them. If we did that, we could do global carbon accounting of digital infrastructure. So that was the the specifics around that saying, we're going to do embodied in that manner. And then the other one was, we're going to measure the carbon intensity of the source energy consumed in those data centers. So now you've got the actual embodied and you have the source. From there, that allows us to be able to now know exactly where we would be from a carbon standpoint. But some key things that came out of it is if we just aligned on a label, just putting it on there, just like PUE, when we put it back out, everyone's like, I can't share their information. It looks bad, like those things. <laughs> but then it became a competitive advantage. And everybody was in a race to get the, the, right, the lowest PUE. Now you look at it, we're going to put a carbon label out. Behind that label is going to be different levels of maturity of data, structure, other things, but it's going to get better. The fact that we have a common label Sure. Is the way that we're going to be driving the behavior. Then you take the buying behavior. That allows us to be able to say, I'm going to lead with my dollars. So I'm going to buy from you if you have a carbon label, because I need to plug that into my carbon accounting so I can actually see if I'm meeting my goals. Okay. And so if you think about the, the four companies, four hyperscalers that jumped into the climate accord, we have Meta, Microsoft, AWS, and Google. They're some of the biggest buyers in the world with the largest portfolios in the world. On mm-hmm. top of that, you have all of the co-location companies that are also massive buyers and hundreds of billions of dollars of investment when it comes down to building infrastructure that enables the internet of everything. So all that came together saying, okay, we can actually launch this. We can unite on this common cause to say, we're going to shorten the time frame to get to carbon neutrality for our industry. How are we going to do that? by applying carbon labels and a common mechanism, and then also a data repository of some sort that we know where we can get this information from. So we all started the line around that. So fast forward from March 17th into April 25th, and that was uh, in Monaco at the Broad Group Awards Show, Christian Bellotti and I got on stage. We shared the Climate Accord, and we announced that we had 73 companies sign up by that evening including four of the hyperscalers, 30 co-location companies, 13 product companies, right? 12 service companies, equity firms, software companies. Like, it was great. And then fast forward, so that was 73 companies came on board in less than six weeks. 
Fast forward six weeks later, and we're at 154 companies. And it's incredible. That includes 60 co-locations companies, six zero. Mm-hmm. So if you think about the hyperscalers and the colos alone, they make up at least 80% of the actual buying in the industry. That's significant. That means we can truly go back and lead with our dollars to now get the sustainability outcomes we're looking for. That's incredible. I mean, oh my goodness, this is another topic where there's so much we could get into here. <laughs> the one question I have to ask, I've seen other industry initiatives like this where the sense is we need some standards. Establishing standards are tough. And you know, Walmart tried putting sustainability labels on products and they never really quite got there. Mm-hmm. What's your set? Why are you confident that you're going to be able to get the industry to align around the standards that will be necessary to establish this, this labeling system? So we're, we're breaking this into two parts. Standards have to be created. Absolutely. But standards take years. So action and buying decisions are things you can turn on tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That leads to standards. So the formal structure of and how we drive it. And so what we believe is that, just imagine the, the hyperscalers, uh, you know, we had this session and then we put together these labels, right? And like the concept of it. And then one of them actually went to their procurement team and said, how do I go back and make that part of my RFP process? Ah, bam. So then it truly is institutionalized in something that says it is a priority which will now drive the behavior on the other side. And what's great is in the room with the hyperscalers, the buyers, we're the actual suppliers. And they're saying, look, if this is something you need, we'll go back and make it happen. It's a win-win you know, inside of that. And so uh, it helps the suppliers when it comes to their sustainability objectives. It helps the buyers in the same way. And then from the service companies and all that, they can go help accelerate the implementation of these things, Right. So I look at that, that's the first bucket is we're going to drive it through behavior, number one. Second, we are going to go work with the actual bodies. So there are so many different groups that are doing amazing work. We're not going to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. So a carbon accounting methodology, right? Okay, it's probably 12 different things. So what do we do? Are we going to go adopt one? Are we going to actually adopt a combination? Are we going to go create one? Are we going to have a hybrid? That's the working groups. We're going to set the objectives. We need a common carbon accounting methodology, and we're going to give them a timeframe. And that work group will establish because they need to output the proposal to the governing body that we have set up. And there are nine members on that governing body, and that will now be ratified. And then we start moving forward with those things. So we're all about the action. And that action really goes down to what do you do right now? Because look, when we started this conversation, everybody was oh my goodness, we have to get to net zero. We have to do all these, you know, there's so much, it's so big. It's almost, it's overwhelming. Yeah, it's too much. Yeah. So what we did is say, let's zero in. What can we do right now that will have a impact, complementary impact going forward? Because it's all about action. So that's where this came back with. Carbon labels are simple. We can go back, adopt that and do it. Common accounting methodologies are a little more difficult, but we can figure out what we want to do. And even if it's 80% there, that's okay because it'll keep getting better. The fact that we have a label, the fact that we'll have anything will drive the behavior. You know what I mean? And then it then it becomes the competitive nature of how do I add value in that? And that's where we get all these consulting firms and everybody else saying, I can help. Great. I can jump in. And then lots of companies saying, good, get us there faster. 
So does that answer the question? Yeah, yeah, oh, it does. And the three things I heard that give me confidence are this is going to be industry-led. You're identifying these challenges and it's practitioners from the industry that will be coming up with the solutions and then seeking industry, industry-wide ratification. This isn't something that is from on high, you're going to declare what the protocols are and then it's going to be pushed down. This is going to yeah. be industry-led. And you've got both sides of the equation at the table. You've got the equipment manufacturers and the buyers engaged those are two elements to the process that you've set up, Dean, that I think improve your probability of success greatly. So this is this is fascinating. And I'll tell you right now, Smart Energy Decisions is totally committed to supporting you. Whatever we can do to help you get that member rank from 150 to 500, you know, we'd like to support you there. Excellent. So we don't have much time left. And I think the listeners have had a chance to get to know you on a business level. Now to try to get to know you on a personal level, you know, a couple of questions that I'd like to ask all of my guests. First, Dean, what what drives you? I mean, you've obviously, you've experienced great success several times in your career, but I still sense that fire in the belly that is more characteristic of people who are just getting started. What drives you? <laughs> well, I'm 53. I think I'm, I'm hopefully getting started. <laughs> but but I will tell you that there are a couple of things that drive me. Number one is I like to know that I'm making a difference. It doesn't matter if it's technology or community or those things. I Where am I spending my time and what impact is that having? For me, that that really drives me. And I say that the other one is is community. I'm energized by people. I'm energized by efforts, giving back like that. That's been kind of a core element of me since my, you know, growing up. And my my parents were amazing and they always cared about people. And, and I, I, it just rubbed off, I think, in that I want to do the right thing. I want to go help. And so what I found was that being able to focus that effort in on, on things like at work, what are we doing? Like Cato is my software company, but why are we here? Why are we spending all this time in a startup being, you know, going crazy and all these things? Because we know that there's at least 30 gigawatts of stranded power inside of data centers. 30 gigawatts. That means that the inefficiencies we have in there because of a whole bunch of different things, we can go unlock that. That means that we can stop the need to build more data centers and use what we've got because we're applying technology to actually do it. So our contributions back to the IMESIS Climate Accord is carbon avoidance. We should be using what we, we are doing, and we should be doing that in an industry that hasn't embraced software. So that's one. I look at it going, what's the why? why? Why am I actually spending my time in doing this? And on the community side, these people are amazing. I get to go hang out with some of the just coolest, most passionate people that we've got in our industry and get them all together right on these causes. And like I said, the compounding effect is incredibly rewarding. That's awesome. You've accomplished a lot, as, as I said earlier. What, what do you consider your greatest accomplishment to date? What are you most proud of so far? <laughs> this might shock people, but literally all the work and technology in the 32 years and all that does not matter. Literally, it does not. And I would say the thing that, that I'm most proud of is that my wife still loves me. My daughter is doing well. We're healthy. Like All of that, that's what matters. And being able to do work that has purpose in it, that you know, my, my daughter is proud of the stuff I do. Yeah. You can't. <laughs> you just can't, uh, I guess, quantify that. 
because I, it's funny. I, I had this this epiphany back at, when I left eBay on that sabbatical part when I was going in. It's like, oh man, all these cool projects and all these things we did. Who cares? Literally, in the end, it'll be a story that was told about something in the past. But what did it do? You know what I mean? Okay, we led, we innovated, we did those different things. But in the end of it, what really, really emerged from all that were the people that I met, the people I got to work with, you know, and then being able to make those phone calls and start iMasons. Why was that? Because there were relationships that were built that is more than the company, you know, more than that and saying, hey, you and I, can we get together and do something on this? What could we, what could we go back and tackle together? So those relationships have always been driven uh, for me as relationships matter, right? You never know who you're going to work for, who's going to work for you. Don't be a jerk because it always comes around, you know, <laughs> treat people it sure well. Does. It sure does. And everything comes back to that. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. It doesn't matter whether it's a personal type thing or whether it's business. It still is just, we got to treat people well. So I really try to strive to do that in everything I, in everything I do. That's great. Well, real success is, I think, having achieved that balance between career success and personal success. And there are so few, there are so few people that have done well in both. And we got a chance to swap some proud, proud dad stories earlier. And yep. <laughs> uh, I know where you're coming from. You know, your journey has, hasn't been without challenge. What's the biggest challenge you've had to face? Wow. I think growing up, so if you think of, and in a different way than people probably think, one of the biggest challenges in, in this was myself and how, how I approached things, saw things, you know, you might have blinders on, that kind of stuff, especially early on in the career. So I would say that all my jobs have basically, I haven't really had to look for that job. You know, opportunities have emerged because I love what I do and I jump into projects and then you get these amazing people around you that see that and they say, okay, I want to help that person, you know? And then opportunities pop up and bing, bing, bing. And so I look at probably the challenges are like, how did I approach it? And the learning, the maturity, right? As you grow over time, now are you really, are you really applying those lessons, those painful lessons to yourself? Are you really looking in a mirror and saying, you know, I could have approached that differently. You know, I was the jerk in that conversation. You know, I really didn't consider the feelings and the, and the other things from that person in that conversation. If I was zero, zeroed in on winning a, a battle or a fight or a competition, was I truly going back and doing the right thing on that? So I would say that's probably one of the, the biggest challenges I didn't really realize I had until later when you could right. reflect and say, how, how should I have done this? So I not perfect. Nobody is still trying to do everything I can, but the scars and all the other things have led me to say, ah, all right, remember that, Dean. Remember that. Yep. Not going to do that one again. Okay. Let's, let's yeah, yeah. in a different way. Well, it takes kind of wisdom, maturity, and confidence to really be able to look at yourself in that, in that manner. And I find that as a common characteristic of people that have achieved uh, great success. Who's had the greatest impact on your career? And another way to maybe take that is who do you, who do you admire most? <laughs> Well, there's, there's a whole bunch of people. I mean, um, I, I won't go through the whole list, but you know, names that come to mind for me immediately. Tom Day was the guy that gave me my first chance in engineering. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the experience. I didn't have the other stuff. And he said, I see something in you and I'd like you to come work for me. And that launched my ability inside of some microsystems to do so many things. And then there was another, uh, Kelly Palmer. She was the one that got me to director 
she believed in me, right? She also pushed back on me, as did Tom and lots of things. And I learned a lot there. And then there was another guy named uh, Ken Marshall at Sun that was a was a big one. Like he he had a lot of wisdom in how he approached things. And I was in tough spots and he just brought it home. I so appreciate what he did there. My goodness, there, there's six or seven other people along that way that uh, that are just were incredible leaders that actually believed enough in me that allowed to see past some of the faults and helped me mature and learn and gave me the opportunities. And I would say the last one is a guy named Sean Canellan, and I never forgot what he said. <laughs> and by the way, he passed away. Uh, he, he worked at Sun, uh, but he was just an amazing guy. And I remember every time I came in with something, he goes, what's the value prop? Why should I care? Okay. That was the business side, right? And then on the other side, he told me back in the day, you know, he said, Hey, I want to promote you to this one. And, and then I said, Oh, that's great. And he goes, you have no idea. You have no idea of your potential. Okay. That inspired me at the same time. It's like, wow, I could think bigger than that, bigger than those things. And so Sean Canellan, rest in peace. Thank you very much for everything you did. And Dave over at Sun, another guy, he's, why am I dropping his last name? <laughs> he's six foot six, yeah, yeah. <laughs> imposing figure. But but there's a ton of those folks. It's fascinating that it sounds like your your foundational experience at Sun was very very rich. You were able to plant some some roots there and get a real strong foundation to build on. So finally, uh, you've obviously, as you said, you're 53. You've got a lot of game left. What ultimate impact do you want to? leave on the industry, Dean. <laughs> You're right. I, I, I think I still got a few more rounds in me in this. I am very purpose-driven. And the impact I want to leave is that we actually made a difference in digital infrastructure. This is an industry that has grown kind of not from nothing. And if you think of the majority of people in it, they didn't choose it. They happened upon it. So can we leave this industry in a place that was better than it was? And can we bring up the leaders that are going to take our positions and enable them to do even better things. For me, that's because it's not about the individual. It's about the when they're gone, can things continue on and get better and better and better? If that's the case where things can do that, then I think I've succeeded in what I was trying to accomplish. Yeah. Well, uh, good luck to you. I have a sense the, the, the best is yet to come for you, Dean, and can't thank you enough for being with me here today on Smart Energy Voices and Really looking forward to following your you personally and the progress that the ICA makes going forward. Excellent. Well, thanks, John. Thanks for having me on and thanks for the support. Appreciate it. And to our listeners, thanks for engaging with our content and being a part of the Smart Energy Decisions community. If you enjoyed my conversation today with Dean, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and tell your colleagues and peers about it. To learn more about how you can become a part of our next event, the Net Zero Forum in Scottsdale this September, visit our website, smartenergydecisions.com. We're excited about sharing conversations with leaders of the energy transition like Dean in this podcast, on our website, and at our events, all in the interest of helping you make smart energy decisions. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast. Digest the insights from today's episode and take action on the ideas that have inspired you. Join us every Friday for conversations with smart energy leaders. 
We also invite you to check out another SED podcast, Beyond the Meter. Each episode of Beyond the Meter features innovative energy projects and initiatives by large electric power users. To keep up to date with trends and happenings in the energy transition, visit smartenergydecisions.com to register for our daily newsletter and become part of the Smart Energy Decisions community. 